And the rest of you can turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. We'll be looking at the first four verses this morning. We have just finished a section in the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus has been showing a group of so-called law-abiding citizens that they're, they're not doing as great as it they thought, they, maybe they thought were. And um, this is something I think we all struggle with. We all tend to, to overestimate our abilities as far as how good we are at, at, at pleasing God. You know, most of us think we're doing a good job. We're conducting our lives in a, in a good way. And then if we ever get concerned about it, there's this really great method that you can use. If you start to feel like maybe I'm not measuring up, just find somebody that's really bad and, and just, just be around them for a minute and you'll feel better about yourself really quickly. It works, it works great. The, the cool thing is that Jesus doesn't let us do that. He loves us enough to, to not let that happen. He doesn't want us to, to be deceived, so he wakes us up to the truth. And the way he does this, we've been seeing, is, is through the perfect law of God. He graciously shows us that we actually fall shorter than we think. The law works like what I would kind of say a reality mirror. That sounds kind of terrifying, a reality mirror. He, the law, he holds that up to you and he shows you what you really look like. This is what this is how God sees you. So, so comparing yourself to somebody else isn't going to work. This compares you to the holy standard of God. It shows you not only what's going on on the outside, the stuff that everybody sees, but, but kind of more scarily what's happening on the inside, what's going on in your heart, what's going on with your motives. It reveals all of that. And nobody likes to see this kind of truth because it, it can quickly lead us to despair when we see, see us the way God sees it. But that's kind of the point. That's the point of why he's doing this. He loves you enough to show you this so that you will flee to him for grace and for mercy and for forgiveness and come to him as your answer and be saved. Because we can't be righteous enough, but he can. We can't keep the law perfectly, but he can. We can't please God, but he can. And he did on your behalf if you will receive that by faith. So so how desperately do you need Jesus On a scale from 1 to 10, I think a lot of people are like, you know, it's good to have him around a little bit, maybe a 4 or 5. No, guys, it's an 11. This is an 11 situation right now. You need him desperately. Air, water, food. No, Jesus, more important. When we come to him by faith, believing what he's accomplished for us at the cross, he will gift us his righteousness free of charge. You know, we always look for good deals. It was Amazon Prime Week, and I was looking to try to find a good deal. This is the best deal you're going to find right here. There's nothing better than free righteousness that that makes you right with God. So this morning, we're going to be looking at chapter 6, and some of you might be thinking, phew, I'm glad we're we're all done with all that reality mirror business. I'm tired of feeling bad about myself, and, and, uh, you know, it's about time we get to something good, you know, praying, fasting, and... and, um, uh, Giving, that's what we're talking about today. What are we talking about? Gee, giving, that's what I'm talking about. You know, that, that's kind of what I think sometimes. Like, oh, good, enough of that bad stuff. Let's get to the good stuff. Let's, let's make me feel good about myself. Well, I've got some good news and some bad news for you this morning. <laughs> the good news is Jesus is changing his focus. So you got that going for you. Um, he's been showing us that we're actually worse than we think we are when it comes to how bad we, you know, the bad things that we do. But now he's going to kind of show us the other side of the coin. So that's, here's the bad news. He's going to show that when it comes to the good things that you do, you're not as good as you think you are. So you're welcome. <laughs> welcome to the door. He's going to do this by showing us three important pillars. There were these, I would call them like piety pillars that, they, that were in the Jewish culture. Giving, fasting, and praying. They used these things to measure how well they were doing. And, and we do the same in the church today. These are, they still exist. So when, our, when we're doing these things, we feel like our holy, holiness meter is, is going up. 
And when we're not doing them, our, you know, our holiness meter is going down. And so this is the way we think about this stuff. And it's easy con- to convince ourselves and the people around us that we're really doing great as Christians when we're doing these things. But in our passage this morning, Jesus is going to kind of drill down into why they were doing them, what they hoped to gain from them, what he had a problem with in what they were doing, and, and then how we can actually do these things in a way that pleases God and glorifies him. So Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 1, it says this, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. So when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. So Jesus starts out with this warning, beware of practicing your righteousness before others to be seen by them. And this might sound a little funny, because just a few minutes ago in the same sermon, chapter 5 for us, but he said, let your light shine before others, that they might see your good works and glorify your Father who's in heaven. So you you, you would go, okay, well, well Jesus, which which is it? Do you want you want me to... Let people see my good works, or do you want me to keep it a secret? What am I supposed to do here? And so we we have to look at motive. In chapter 5, their motive was to avoid persecution. And so Jesus reminds them of the importance of being salt and light so that people see these good works and connect it to God. This is an important thing. Here they have a very different motive. What were they, why were they doing these good works? What were they trying to do? And this is where we have to key in on Jesus' words a little bit more closely. In verse 1, he says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before others in order to be seen. See? This isn't about avoiding persecution. This is about gaining praise. That's why they were doing it. One is about God's glory, and one is about man's glory. So Jesus is not saying we shouldn't ever be seen giving to the needy. He's saying we shouldn't give to the needy in order to be seen. That's the point. What That's what they were doing here, and, and, and this, is, this is what they were doing wrong. They found a way to, to look holy, pretending like they were pleasing God while accomplishing the goal that they had of making themselves look good in front of others. So, so, and you can picture that. When, when somebody sees these kinds of things, they're like, wow, look at that guy. Look at the way he gives. Look at the way he fasts and prays. What a spiritual superhero. He's impressive, isn't he? That's, that's what they were doing. That's what they were trying to do. And Jesus says, since that's what you were going for, congratulations, you got your reward. You got that, that wonderful pat on the back from those that were watching you that you wanted so bad. Woohoo! You know, good for you. What a prize. What an amazing thing you just got. The problem is that's all they got. <laughs> There's nothing else coming their way. They didn't win anything that really mattered or anything that would last. It reminds me of when my kids were in 4-H. They would, they would enter animals and hope to, to get the big prize, and sometimes they did. But, but when they didn't get the big prize, they didn't come home empty-handed. Oh, no. They got this little ribbon that basically said, thanks for participating. <laughs> and everybody got one of those. And I remember they would come home, and they'd be like, stupid ribbon, and they'd throw it in the garbage <laughs> because they knew it wasn't hard to get. It didn't matter. It didn't, it didn't mean anything. And that's what men's praise is like. You know, someone sees you giving to the poor, and they give you a little head nod, maybe a thumbs up. That's it. It's like, woo! It's, you know, you're going to put that on your mantle when you get home? It's not that great. And it's less exciting when you think about those that are praising you. Do you really care what they think? I mean, does, does their opinion matter that much? Really? 
And it's even less exciting when, when you realize that they are praising you for just doing a good job of acting. Really. That's why, you know, you're, you're, you're doing this. You're pretending to do something so they'll praise you. And so they're like, hey, you're a great actor. This is like the Emmys and the Oscars. That's what they amount to. People that don't really know you are giving you a prize for, for being a really good actor. That's it. That's what we're doing. It's not a great reward when you, when you look at it that. And yet, it's something we all desire. We all want it. Do you know what we should desire and what should matter instead? The praise of our Father who knows us, who knows us, and, and would still give us his praise. That's an amazing thing. Nothing else should really matter more than his acceptance, but, but we, 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 we desire it for some reason. So Jesus was not contradicting himself at all. Our good works do matter. We should let our light shine before men. We just need to make sure that we're giving credit where credit is due, or maybe glory where glory is due. One commentator asked this question. I thought it was great. Are you a mirror or a sponge? Good question. Are you a mirror that reflects the praise that you get back to God where it belongs? Or are you a sponge that just soaks it all up and, and, and takes it for yourself? Let your light shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Be a mirror. I hope that people see Jesus in us. When, when, they, when they see us as Christians, they see Jesus in us and it, and it points to God. It glorifies him. That's what we want it to do so that they will be drawn to him. So the point is, is be righteous, but be careful. Ask yourself the question, what, whose glory is this for? You know, why am I doing this? Whose glory is it for? Don't use the righteousness in your life, which by the way, isn't yours, but don't use the righteousness in your life as a means for personal gain. God calls that hypocrisy. And this is what we see Jesus addressing here in, in, in how they were given to the less fortunate. So he says, verse 2, When you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do. See, blowing trumpets was, was a way to make sure that everybody in, in, around saw what you were doing. It, it's kind of a crazy thing. You know, we, we don't want this to go unnoticed, so I'm going to make sure that we blow a trumpet. It would be like if we, when I used to work in, at the copier industry, every time a sales guy would make a big sale, they had a bell that hung in the bullpen, they called it. I don't know. And they would walk up and they would ring the bullpen bell, and everybody would look at him and, you know, yay. I thought we could put a bell by the offering box, and every time you give, you could just walk up, you know, and just, you know, ding, and make sure everybody's looking and be like, okay. Okay, and then put it in, you know, that, that's, that would be ludicrous. But this is kind of what it's, you know, you, you can see why Jesus would have such a problem with this, right? He uses the word hypocrisy because he, he wants to make sure you understand it's possible to appear righteous and not be righteous at all. To do something that looks like it, God's happy with that he's not happy with at all. They were pretending to honor God, pretending to care about the poor, pretending to be generous while only thinking of themselves the entire time. In, in Matthew 15, Jesus describes people like this this way. These people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me, and in vain they worship me. Vain, worthless, useless. These acts of worship, this righteousness, it's pointless. It isn't about God. It only serves to benefit them. They're hypocrites. And, and you know the thing about hypocrites? It's funny because people pretending to be something they're not it bothers us too, right? Doesn't it just bug you when you when you see that? That's one of the biggest knocks on the church that there is. If you ask people why they don't like church or why they left church, they'll say the same thing. It's full of hypocrites. And the truth is, they got a point, right? People who are inauthentic or fake 
drive people nuts. And this has become more so today because now we live in a time where being your true self is the greatest virtue there is. You know, you got to be your true self. And, and anybody who's not doing that is, you know, the, the worst kind of person there is. And, and that's what they're accusing the church of. And we can all think of examples of people pretending to be devoted to God when they're not. It, it's a blight on Christianity when somebody is outspoken and self-righteous, you know, and, and they, they claim to follow Christ, but they're found to be an imposter. It's, it's so embarrassing. I hate when it happens. Uh, one of the commentators I looked at named Sinclair Ferguson talked about this, this idea of hypocrisy in his commentary. And he said, in ancient drama, actors did not wear makeup. They wore masks that represented the part that they played. And it's a vivid picture of the hypocrite pretending to be something, but all the time, you know, really something else. And in most of the churches that I've been in in the past, you felt pressure to wear one of these masks. You had to pretend like you had your stuff together. I remember feeling that, you know, in a church I was in early on, I remember kind of coming in and seeing all these people that had their lives completely together, and I didn't. And I felt like a freak. I thought, what am I, what am I doing here? Am I the only one that struggles with sin? Am I the only one that... I, I just felt that. And so I thought, well, what, what am I going to do? Well, the answer is put on a mask and pretend like you got your stuff together and hope nobody notices. You know, that was my, that was my tactic for quite a while. It's like, maybe that'll work. And then you realize, oh, that's what everybody's doing. It's like, you guys, sneaky guys. That's what else. That's, this church hasn't been that way from day one. And I don't want to take credit for it because it wasn't just me, but the pastors made a decision from day one. We're not going to do that. We're not going to do that. And if we're not going to do that, maybe they won't do it. And so sometimes it's a little scary to hear us up here. You know, I, I mean, I'll, I'll make statements sometimes about being the worst sinner I know. And I don't say that just to, you know, in a self-effacing way. I mean it. I know my heart. I know what goes on in me. But I, I, I'm not going to pretend like that. Pastors have that pressure put on them more than anyone else. They have to have the perfect life, the perfect wife, the perfect kids. And you better not let anybody see, you know, see you sweat or you're going to get kicked out. We, we just aren't going to do that. We're going to be honest with you. None of us have our stuff together. And we don't have to fake it until we make it. That's not that's not something we should have to do. For those of you who feel the have felt the need to wear a mask and hide who you really are, I hope I have some great news for you. You can take it off. You don't have to keep wearing it. You don't have to pretend. And I love that about this church. One of the biggest ways to combat the accusation of hypocrisy that's leveled against us is to stop pretending that we're we're righteous when we're not. Now, I'm talking about self-righteousness, just to be clear. I want to make sure that we're clear about that, because th- this begs the question, where does our righteousness come from? It comes from Jesus, 100% from him. So that means that if, if you see any righteousness in me, guess where it came from? Him. It didn't originate with me. I can't take credit for it. I can't boast in it. With Jesus, I am fully righteous. Without Jesus, I am fully unrighteous. Jesus is the difference. So we would do well to, to make that very clear to those who, who think that the church is full of hypocrites. We're not pretending to be righteous. We were, we were imputed the, the righteousness of Christ. And, and that's the way God sees. He gave it to us. So even though, and this is where it gets tricky, positionally before God, we are 100% righteous, blameless, holy. That's what the Bible calls us. Practically, before men, eh, you know, not so much. That's where it gets hard, right? At some point, these two are going to match up. You know, the, the like the the chocolate and the peanut butter coming together. The the the, the goodness, 
It's a lame excuse unless you really like Reese's like I do. But at some point when we get to the kingdom, these things will come together and it'll be a reality. But until then, we're still practically working this out. Jesus is sanctifying us. We are being transformed more and more, but we don't need to pretend that we're already there. We aren't fooling anybody anyway. You know, by the way, it's like the people can see it. You can pretend all you want, but at the end of the day, it's like, nah, I'm not buying that. I, it's, we're not that good at it. And, and I want you to think about how refreshing it is when somebody admits their brokenness. I, I see that in this church a lot. Somebody just admits that I'm broken and, and, I, and I need Jesus. It's such a, it's such a wonderful thing because it, could, it creates an environment where it's safe for others to do the same. Not to feel good about it, not to feel good about your brokenness. That's not what I'm talking about. But but to admit it and then and then start to get help with it. And that's what starts to happen when we're honest about our sin and we're honest about this thing. Is that all of a sudden now we've got we're working on it. We've admitted it. We've got other people working on it. People are praying for us. We're starting to see things change. So admit your sin, but don't treat it like it isn't a big deal. That's one of the biggest things I worried about when we put the sinners only shirts out. You know, some people went, oh, this is a place. For the broken, only for sinners. And other people went, yeah, sinners only, you know, like, I'm re-. and it's like, no, 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 whoa, back it up. This isn't something we're boasting about. You know, this is, we should hate our sin. It should bother us. We should be like what, what John Owen's famous quote, be, be killing sin or it will be killing you. This is a serious thing. The church should be filled with people who love holiness and who earnestly desire to be righteous not just perceived as righteous, but truly righteous. And it should be filled with people who are working together to encourage each other, to spur one another on to good works, to push people towards Jesus and towards holiness in a loving and humble way, helping each other with this process. And then the the, the neat thing about this is when an accuser walks in, or even Satan himself, and says, you're not righteous. We don't have to say, I mean, we can just say, yeah, you're right. I'm not, I'm not, but, but he is, and he gave his righteousness to me. So if you've got a problem, take it up with him. <laughs> that's, that's kind of it. We can agree with them. Yeah, we're not righteous. We don't have to pretend like we are. Okay. So Jesus was upset with these guys because they were being hypocrites, pretending to be righteous in order to gain the praise of men. And once again, it's so easy for us to be hard on them, right? I, I read this and I'm thinking, can you believe these guys? They were blowing trumpets. Can you believe the nerve of these people? That's oh, disgusting. What a bunch of losers. Am I right? You know, you think that way, but not so fast because we do it too. We just, we just use different trumpets. <laughs> And we're going to get to that. But first, let's answer the question, why do we do this? Why is it such a big deal for us to be seen and esteemed by others? Why do we crave the praise of men? Why are we willing to promote ourselves in such an obvious and desperate way? And it just comes down to a desire that we have to be loved, accepted, admired, rewarded for for who we are and what we do. We're all very needy in that way. And it's very ironic to think about the, this passage and the, what these, the Pharisees were doing. They were, they were using giving to the needy to, to fulfill this thing they had inside of them. It's, 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 there's kind of fun, something funny about it. It's like, attention, everybody. Uh, I help the needy. Like you're blowing their trumpet, you know, and you're going, okay, we see that. But when you say needy, do you mean the person that has no food or the person with the trumpet in their hand? Which, which one are you talking about? Because <laughs> you seem maybe a little more needy than they do right now. A good test of, of your motivation in all of this is to ask yourself, would I still do this 
if it went unnoticed, or would or, or the incentive to give just go away at that point? Or to think, you know, do you, do you, are you the kind of person that finds creative ways to let other people know about your, you know, humble ways, certainly, but creative ways to let people know how great you are at this? You know, ah, you know, I, I, you know, I helped those people the other day with some stuff, or, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say I'm a generous person, but my friends would certainly say that I, you know, that kind of thing. That's a trumpet. That's a trumpet right there. It's kind of like, I couldn't, I, I was so convicted about this because you go to the place where you get your coffee sometimes and they have the tip jar on the table and you bought your coffee and you have your, you have your tip in your hand and you're ready to put it in and they turn around and you're back. It's like, well, I can't put it in now. Well, what good is that? It doesn't even count if they don't see it. So you have to kind of wait for a second and then, oh, and then throw it in because how are they going to know how awesome I am if they don't see me actually do it? That's a trumpet, right? That's what Jesus is describing here. People who give to get. That's why they do it. It has nothing to do with righteousness or compassion or generosity. It's all about them. I heard about this condition the other day. I was talking with somebody, and it's called narcissistic personality disorder. So I had to look it up to find out what it was. And much to my chagrin, I think I have it. So... (laughs) And I'm not trying to make light of it. It's probably a real thing, but it, I, this is the de- you, you you be the judge. This is what the, the description was. It's a mental condition in which people have an inflated sense of their own importance, a deep need for attention and admiration. But behind this mask of extreme confidence lies a fragile self-esteem that's vulnerable to the slightest criticism. And I read that and went, yeah, that's about right. That sounds kind of like me. Most of us are, are this way to some degree. We want people to like us, and we're bo- we want them to like us, and we're bothered when they don't. And so we can become so desperate that we're willing to do almost anything and everything to make sure we can secure their attention and their affection. And if you're like me in that regard and you need some incentive um, to help you stop worrying about what people think, uh, there's a great Spurgeon quote that's stuck with me for years. It, it's a really good one, but I will warn you to brace yourself for impact. It's, it's one of those. He said this, If any man thinks ill of you, do not be angry with him, for you are far worse than he thinks you to be. (laughs) It's like, yeah. But but really, the the idea that we will be loved by everyone and lauded by everyone and that everybody's going to like us, it's it's simply an unrealistic notion that it's not going to happen. It doesn't stop us from trying, though. It doesn't stop us from wanting it because we all have a little narcissism in us. It's part of the fallen human condition. And we're living in a time, and I, I want you to hear this because I know I'm going to step on some toes, and I'm, I'm not going to apologize because it just drives me crazy to see this. We're living in a time when self-love and self-care and self-acceptance, are, are they're supposed to take priority over everything else. These are the things you're supposed to be focused on. And I just want you to understand what the Bible tells us about this. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, he warns us, that in the last days there will come times of great difficulty. And the number one thing, the number one reason on the list for this time of great difficulty is people will be lovers of self. This is not a virtue, beloved. It's a sin. This isn't going to help you gain what you think it's going to gain you. I mean, if you, when people love themselves more than anyone and anything else, you know what it looks like? What our society is turning into right now. Everything you see that's bothering you now, you can bring back to this. This is what's happening, and we want to call it something that's good. Now, don't don't misunderstand me. The fact that God loves me has done more for me than anything else in my life. 
I have that love from him and acceptance to where I don't feel, I mean, that, that, that does everything for me. I'm talking about self-love. And social media, by the way, has provided the perfect laboratory for this monster to thrive and grow in. It gives people this platform for that, this importance that they crave. You can document your whole day, you know, for everyone. You know, this is what I, this is when I woke up. This is what I ate. Uh, this is what I, this is what I did. This is who I, this is who I helped. Can you imagine if the Pharisees would have had social media? Just, they're out, you know, they don't need a trumpet at that point, right? Just go out with the, you know, take your phone and be like, you know, helping the homeless, hashtag helping the homeless, you know. That's what we would do. That's exactly where they would live stream their 10 day fast. I could just see, you know, it's like day, day six, I'm really hurting today. Please pray for me. This is what they would do exactly. And this is what I feel like most of my feed looks like when I, when you really boil it down. And I'm sorry, I'll admit before I criticize, I have taken a selfie before. But the fact that that's a thing, that that's a thing, that proves my point. Selfies. It just sounds terrible when you say it. Uh, constantly seeking approval from others is exhausting. It's exhausting. And this is one of the reasons, if I can just be candid with you, that I don't post much on social media. If you're one of my Facebook friends, you'll see, you know, I don't post anything. It's because I'm that stinking fragile. I'll just be honest. If I post something and I don't get a bunch of likes or a bunch of accolades or, or whatever, it would probably ruin my day. I mean, that's just true. It sounds sad. Imagine a teenage girl and the pressure, or a teenage boy, and the pressure that they're under for this. It, it, it's got to be, I, I didn't have to deal with this as a kid. The pressure that's on them, I can't imagine if that's where they're looking for their value. You know, praise God that we have, uh, I don't know if you guys know Jacques and LP and Lapine. He put, he likes every one of the things that we post on the door, whether it's a sermon or a one, the one decent pastor episode, Jacques likes it. He's like, he keeps me afloat, man. That guy keeps me going. <laughs> I would have I would have quit years ago if it wasn't for Jacques. But but this kind of self-focus and self-reliance on others is very very dangerous. The truth is this: the more I focus on myself, the more depressed I am. The more that I focus on others and their needs, the happier I am. The more I serve self, the more miserable and lonely I am. And the more I serve others, the more fulfilled and satisfied I am. Even coming out like you were talking about coming to the third or the, uh, the the food thing the other day and seeing all these people here. It was such a great day to see all of these people selflessly helping other people. It made my day too. It's fantastic. But this is why Jesus said it's more blessed to give than receive. This is exactly what he was talking about. It sounds completely backward, doesn't it? But it's absolutely true. Giving and expecting nothing in return is one of the greatest feelings we can experience. It's an expression of love for somebody else. And it's received when it's received that way. It's so, and this is what Jesus did for us. You see, you know, don't miss that. Jesus gave us something when, when we didn't deserve it, when we didn't expect it. He gave himself. And that's what he's talking about in Philippians chapter two. We know this passage where he says, don't do anything, you know, selfish ambition and conceit. Consider other people more important than you. Look to your interests, but also look to the interests of others. Have the mind that I had in you. This is what we're supposed to be. Jesus was God and he put himself second. And he became a servant. And there's greater reward in doing this than, than anything else, even though it's contrary to our flesh and it's contrary to what the world would say. This is where uh, the, you know, all this stuff's going to come together for us. I would also just point out that it's frustrating to me and it doesn't help that there are churches out there that are actually reinforcing this wrong idea of giving to get. It's something that, that fills stadiums. 
Um, people want to hear this message, and it, it's, it's, it makes me mad. They teach that if you give, God must reward you. Like he finally got his arm behind his back, and he's, he has no choice now but to just give and give and give and bless you. They've turned giving into some kind of a sick business investment where you get the payout. And God is just kind of a genie in a bottle. They're there to just, you know, he's your butler. You just ring him up and say, hey, I need something again. It, it's, it's disgusting. You end up with people who don't want God, but they want his stuff. And that's all they want. The Bible calls that idolatry, by the way, not Christianity. And, and I, I think we would just do well to call it what it is. So this all comes down to the important question of whose praise do you want? I'm going to read two verses, and I'm going to just think about which one describes you. And I know we'll all pick the right one, but think about which one describes you. I'm not going to ask you to, you know, you don't have to raise hands. In John 12, verse 43, Jesus talks about those who love the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. If that's where your value comes from, that's what you'll seek after. And then we've got the Apostle Paul, a guy who had it all when it came to the praise of men. Think about Paul's life. He was a, the Pharisee of Pharisees. Everybody admired him, looked up to him, and he was, he, was the, he was like the poster child for a good Pharisee. And you know what he counted that after finding Jesus? Pile of rubbish. And that's putting it nicely. <laughs> a big steaming pile of rubbish. You can do what you want with that. That's what, he, that's what, that's what, that's what that word means. He counted it as that. In Galatians 1.10, Paul asked the question, Am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. That was Paul's conclusion. A true servant of Christ will find it hard, if not impossible, to be a pleaser of man. And, 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 and I would just tell you, if pleasing man is your goal... I certainly would not recommend Christianity. This is not a great, there's way better ways to do it than that. That's probably one of the worst ways. And I think we're actually, it's, it's, we're actually seeing this play out in the church right now. I don't know if you, if you see it or not, but there are people realizing that they can't be a Christian and have the approval of their peers. That they're finally seeing, before, for a long time in our country, you could do both. And it's to the point now where you can't. And you've got to pick a side. And we're seeing that happen. And so many people care more about what the world thinks of them because that's where their value and worth come from. And so they're forced to compromise. And we're, we're, I'm watching it happen, even on my stupid social media feed again, but I'm seeing it happen. People that should know better than to, to be okay with this thing or that thing, and they're saying, well, maybe it's not that big a deal. It's weird. Jesus told us how the world would feel about us if we followed him and, and, and how they would treat us. And it's exactly the way they felt about him and exactly the way they treated him. I just would say, it's, you know, I've, I've, I've weighed this out. I've thought this through, and it's far more important to me to have God's praise and acceptance than anyone else's. It just is. That's where my value comes from, and I'll tell you why. Because God knows me. The world doesn't know me. They, they might think they do. They might act like they do. God knows me. He knows the good, the bad, and the ugly. And you know what? He loves me. He accepts me. He embraces me. He let Jesus die on the cross for me. If that doesn't give you the value that you need, you're looking in the wrong place. That's where that he won't give up on me. <laughs> he will not give up on me. That's crazy. And he has he's planned a future for me. That's where my value comes from. Man's praise is nothing compared to that. And I want you to understand that there is no value in what the world thinks of you. None. And good luck. If you do get their approval, good luck keeping it. 
Because you know what's going to happen in a few minutes? The value is going to change. And what, what, what was okay a second ago is not going to be anymore. You're going to be chasing a target all around, constantly trying to get their approval. Do you like me now? Do you like me now? Do you like me now? It's kind of sad to think about, but that's what it's going to be like. They will even eat their own. What do you think they're going to do with you, Christian? <laughs> Chew you up and spit you out every time. If you've compromised once on this thing, guess what you're going to have to do with the next 10 things? Don't go down that road. Choose this day who you will serve. Do you want their approval or do you want his approval? As for me and my house, and I hope this is my house, we will serve the Lord. So Jesus has illustrated the wrong way to give. Now, what's the right way to give to those in need? The first step in godly giving is never forgetting who and where you came from. If you were a Christian, you were poor and needy. And Jesus helped you in your need. If we forget that, we will begin to lack compassion for others who are poor and needy. Jesus, he describes this really well, Jesus says in a parable again, um, one person who saw their need and one person who did not. In Luke 18, he says, two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. And the Pharisee standing by himself prayed like this, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector over here, which is funny to me because I think he could hear him. And I would just, I found the tax going like, but I, I can, I can hear you, man. I don't think he cared. And then, then he, then he starts to resume before God. And remember the three pillars of piety, prayer, which is what he's doing, giving and fasting. So listen to what he says. I'm not like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector standing far off would not even lift his eyes to heaven. But he beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Which person describes you? If you see yourself as a needy sinner whom God has had mercy upon, it won't be much of a stretch to have compassion on the needy around us. It won't seem like some big act of righteousness for people to see. It will just kind of look like one beggar, telling another beggar where to find bread. That's what it is. So if we're recipients of God's amazing grace and mercy, that same attitude of grace and mercy should flow out of us to the people around us, especially to the least of those among us. And, and you know that, you know what, you know, if those who have been given much, how much is expected? Much. You can say it with vigor. Have we been given much? You bet we have. So we should probably be the most generous people on the planet. Um, but we should give humbly and generously. But but next he's going to say secretly. And this is kind of a, you know, this goes back to the trumpet thing. Verse three says, but when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be done in secret. It's a really weird thing to think about. Don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. And it's like, how do I do that, Lord? They're connected. They're part of their, you know, the same brain kind of works it out. What does this mean? And, and he's really contrasting this with the idea of blowing the trumpet to get everybody's, everybody's attention. So it's the idea of, you know, sleight of hand. Don't let other people see what you're doing and, and maybe try to hide it from yourself a little bit either. Don't keep playing that record over and over in your head again about how awesome you are. To Remember that time, Brent, when you, you like gave that big check to those people and blessed them so much? Yeah, man. It's like high five. You know, it's like, so you got the left hand. Don't do that. That would be weird, right? Clearly, um, 
don't be self-aware of your giving because it will lead to self-righteousness. That's, that's kind of what he's saying. And, and here's the reason we don't need to tell anybody, including ourselves, because none of the credit belongs to you anyway. Do, do you guys understand that? If you have stuff to give, who gets the credit? God does. If you have a desire to give, who gets the credit? God does. You know, If you actually believe that, there's no room for self-righteousness at all. I like what John Stott said about this. Christian giving is to be, is to be marked by self-sacrifice and self-forgetfulness, not by self-congratulation. So we're supposed to be the opposite of the people with the big checks. I always thought that was one of the funniest things. Ever. You know, Don't be a big check person. If you're going to give to somebody, don't find the largest check you can possibly get that takes two people to hold to let everybody know what you've done. That's, that would be the opposite here. That's a trumpet, right? And we purposely set up the door this way. You know, the, the way we give here, if you guys have asked before, why don't you pass the plate? Why, not, why isn't there more talk about it? This is why. We're trying to help you obey this, this command to do it secretly. So we place boxes on the walls in weird places where you, you, you can't find them. Sometimes people have to ask us, you know, if we wanted to give, is there a place? Yes, there is. Um, but we want it to be between you and the Lord. We don't know who gives. Um, we, 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 there's one person in the church that keeps track of all of that. We, the pastors purposely don't know because we don't want that to change how we shepherd people. And we don't want that to change how you interact with us. Because in a lot of churches, just being honest, if a pastor knows who the big givers are, guess who gets special treatment? Yeah. And, it, and if he knows you don't give much, why am I going to do anything great for you? You know, you don't even give much. That's, we don't want that to be a thing. And we also don't want you to think, do you know how much I give? Do you know how important I am to this church? You better give me. No. All that goes away. We don't know. And we, we want it that we want it to be between you and the Lord. We want you to be good stewards. We want you to give cheerfully and generously and faithfully. And, the, and from what we can see based on the fact that we're still going 11 years later, you do a pretty good job of it. So thank you. I still can't believe we do as well as we do. Even through COVID, it blows my mind that we're, you know, thank you, Lord. And, and thank you, congregation, very much. Giving is an important part of the Christian's life. Um, you know, I don't know if you noticed that, but Jesus said when you give. It, it's not if you give, it's when you give. And so it means he expects it. But even though he wants that to be done secretly, he doesn't want your Christianity to be done secretly. That's not the point of this at all. You, there's no, you can't just be, I know there's a lot of Christians that are just kind of closet Christians that hope that maybe nobody notices, you know, shh, keep it on the DL. That's not what, you know, that's wrong. Let your light shine before men. That's what he wants. Just make sure the spotlight is on the real star of the show, Jesus, not you. Get out of his way. I think too many Christians kind of try to eclipse, you know, the important part. You're a roadie. He's the rock star. Like, move, move, get out of the picture. Be a mirror, right? Not a sponge. So he ends this, this section with a, with a promise of reward, which is kind of crazy when you consider all that he's already given us. But he says, and your father who sees in secret, I love that. God sees it every time. You, you know, you might think it's going unnoticed. You might think that, you're not getting the fanfare you want. Your father sees. He sees in secret and he will reward you. We don't have to blow trumpets. We don't have to tell other people about it. He knows. So the question really comes down to whose reward do you want? Do you want the instant gratification of a temporary reward that, that some someone whose opinion really probably doesn't matter that much is going to give you? Or do you want the blessing of an eternal reward from the God who made you and who knows you and who loves you and whose good opinion should matter more than all the praises in the world that could come your way. And, and what will the reward be? I don't know. But maybe, maybe it's just that we get God. You know, 
Maybe it's just that he's your portion. I love that that phrase in the Bible, you know, God is my portion. You know, I don't know what other people get, but he's my portion. That's a pretty good reward. And if we have his praise and acceptance, really what more could we want? So, Father, thank you so much that um, you have given us uh, immeasurably more than we deserve through Jesus Christ. Lord, help that to, to flow into our life in a way that flows out to generosity and to, to, to giving as an act of worship and not out of duty. Help us, Father, to only really desire your good opinion of us and not really care what the world has to think. Uh, may this just revolutionize the way we live and as the way we function as a church because we want to, we want to make you known and we want to make your name great. And we just pray that the, that would be the kind of church we are, uh, a light on a hill. Uh, beacon for those that don't know you, that they might come here and hear words that would lead them to Jesus Christ so that they could be saved. Thank you for saving us. We are in awe of who you are. Thank you for loving us. In Jesus' name, amen.